This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. podcast episode 273 in this best in beer critics list episode i talked to five outstanding talents in the world of beer writing and journalism and get their favorite beers of the past year along with their hot takes and of course the beer styles they are most excited about right now joining us again for this episode are craft beer and brewing contributing editor kate bernat noted author and monthly brewing industry guide correspondent stan Hieronymus, the always hilarious blogger and podcaster alex kidd uh joining us for the first time new york-based beer writer courtney eisman uh she's joining from brooklyn and of course we finished the episode with managing editor joe stang's personal take which you won't hear in this episode or any episode for that matter is my own personal critics list and for that you'll have to go to beerandbring.com click on that subscribe button become a subscriber read it in the magazine that's the only way you're going to see it uh we've got to hang that tease out there for you shouldn't be a problem right you know you're already a subscriber so you can just pop into the issue and read it uh, or you may have already read it uh, because we already sent you that issue via pdf and loaded it up in the app uh, and of course print copies will arrive i think next week of course depending on when you're listening to it it might be next week or might have already received it who knows anyway this episode is my big excuse every year to sit down and talk shop with some of the brightest minds in the beer writing world it's of course a fascinating look at how folks who spend their days surveying the craft beer landscape are thinking about what's happening in beer right now. We'll kick things off with Kate, but first, AccuBrew is an analytical tool designed to collect and compare the information brewers need to produce consistent results and continuously improve the process of fermentation. AccuBrew is more than a progress bar and early warning system. It's an ever-evolving piece of technology tailored to you and your process. Save time and turn tanks faster, monitor and compare batch processes in real time, and your notes, set custom reminders and temperature alerts, and detect process issues before a batch is ruined. Quality, consistency, and confidence that is what AccuBrew delivers. Visit AccuBrew.io today for a no-obligation 90-day trial. Also, this episode is sponsored by CanCraft and BSG. Need cans? CanCraft has you covered. Get blank, sleeved, and printed aluminum beverage cans with low minimums, plus full-service support from design through delivery. No matter the size of your business, CanCraft design and aluminum specialists are here to help guide you every step of the way. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com slash cancraft for your complete packaging solution. For this first Critics List segment, uh, we're joined by Kate Bernat, contributing editor for Craft Beer and Brewing and the Brewing Industry Guide. Kate, you're, this is old hat for you. Uh, you've, you've been doing this a number of years now uh, since we since we started doing this podcast episode. Um, but the, the pressure, the pressure is still there. <laughs> the pressure is so real. I It doesn't get any easier year after year. I think it gets more difficult because I think there's so much good beer out there. Yeah. Every year, this is like the most stressful thing I do in a good way, in a good way. But at least now, like we all keep it in mind, right? Like I go through my beer year thinking, oh, I'm going to have to create my critics list, but I got to keep some notes. And when I see something that sticks out, I know Stan does the same, Joe does the same, uh, Alex 
just consumes everything, and uh, you know, I, I have no idea what his <laughs> process is. We'll we'll dig into that later. Um, you know, and, and through this, I thought it was interesting because some uh, some beers that showed up on your personal critics list were beers that were also submitted for our best in beer issue, and so they were familiar to me because we had you know tasted them, um, even though you were supposed to be a part of that tasting and then <laughs> and then, then 2022 got in the way man <laughs> i so yep i had my flights booked i had the whole thing looking forward to it we're going to test taste the best beers of the year like i look forward to that obviously for months and uh covid came for me like it comes for seemingly all of us and uh yeah what was it like two days before i called you up two days before right yeah, worst possible thing. yeah yeah and we yeah. hustled and found some other folks to kind of to sit in they 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 were good they were no they were no kate but uh yeah, yeah they were uh anyway we the missed FOMO. you this year it was so real we flew you we flew uh joe in all the way from thailand and, uh, anyway anyway <laughs> Um, the FOMO, Jamie, the FOMO. <laughs> I, I don't mean to, I, I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh, and I still owe you, I still owe you, I've got to PayPal you for the, the Wilco ticket uh, from Red Rocks. Oh. <laughs> so many things, <laughs> so many things fell apart. Let's uh, let's talk about your favorite 10 beers of 2022. Yeah. You want to start right at the top there? Let's start at the top and, and drill right through them. All right. So the Hell is Lager from Meanwhile, uh, they're in from Austin. Meanwhile, did you go down there? Did you go to the brewery? No, I want to now. Uh, I got a can of it and it was delightful. I can't even imagine how good it is on draft. Um, I, They've this been is, winning some awards, winning some medals. No way. We got down there, Joe and Joe, Joe and I, Joe Morfeld, Joe Stang and I popped over there in uh, 2021 after we had finished up filming a, a class for the online education platform, All Access Video. Um, and it nice. is a, it's an impressive, giant um, wild, beautiful mm. location there. Um, they have built out something pretty significant there. Yeah. Well, this, this beer was just an absolute delight. Like, I don't know how you make a Hellas that's so soft, but still really clean. Like I was just kind of like sipping it, sipping it, being like, how is this possible to be pillowy and clean at the same time i don't know i'm just gonna drink it it's great <laughs> fantastic um so that yeah that was meanwhile hellas because i stopped I, I walked all over your uh talking about what it was there at oh, the very right. top what's the, what's the second beer on your list yeah this was a fun one uh supermoon Sellergeist uh from milwaukee uh supermoon a relatively newish brewery that just opened a tap room like a recently a couple of months ago um so this was saison in gin barrel with greengeist hops and it was just like the best marriage of those hops and the gin character and the base saison it was like zippy and super refreshing and i just wanted to drink this on a 95 degree day it was yeah just a really lovely really lovely like recipe building and choices there and, uh, and a pretty big thing to come out with that kind of beer uh, fresh out of the gate with a new brewery like that. Totally. They sent some of this to us, and so we all tasted this actually as a part of uh, our best in beer tasting too. And uh, that was the one that made me think, wait, Kate wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so wild. Glad to see that. Yeah. Glad to see you're getting some of uh, some of those uh, beers for consideration shipped directly to yeah, you too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the third beer on your list? Yeah, this was a kind of a, a fun one and like one I was almost surprised to like so much. Um, Weldworks Mango Lassie beer, uh, Weldworks out of Greeley. Um, 
you know, candidly, these heavily fruited sours are not generally in my wheelhouse. And this one was one that I just loved and kept thinking about. I thought the mango lassi inspiration was so smart and so different from anything else I had tasted. And there was this cardamom and and milk sugar that was really gently applied. And I just thought it was so different and memorable. And I kind of kept thinking about it. This was one I had earlier in the year and like kept thinking about. So kept it on the list uh, for the end of year. It stuck with you. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. What's, uh, what's the fourth beer on your list? Uh, Duanel Elegante Primo. So Italian. <laughs> fancy, fancy, fancy name. Right? With a name like that, better live up. Uh, and, it, and it very much did. This was a uh, beer wine hybrid wild ale fermented on Syrah, Cinso, and Petite Syrah grapes. Um, another style that I don't always reach for or love, but um, I thought it was really well done. And the the flavors that came from those grapes were so multifaceted. I was getting like tea leaf and, and cherry pits and stems. And it was really like a confident combination of flavors. And uh, just like one of those beers that really surprised me and was more cool the more I learned about it. I, you know, this was a, for me personally, a, a year of wine exploration and I, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time, uh, you know, on the edges of beer events, uh, visiting wineries and was able to do that in Paso and Sonoma, uh, nice. the Willamette Valley, you know, Yakima, others. Um, I really just spent some time in that world. And I, I agree with you. A lot of the time I, my, my conventional logic had been, you know, why combine both when either one separately can be better? Um, yep. you know, but obviously beers from, you know, folks like Cantillon have proven that to be a false assertion mm-hmm. um, that this kind of, you know, uh, uh, com- you know combining approach to mm-hmm. to these can create something that, uh, you know, at times is is just interesting um, above and beyond. Yeah. You know, not that it's more interesting than either one, but it creates an also an equally interesting third thing. Yep. Um, you know, and there was a beer wine hybrid on my own personal list uh, from Ale Song this year. Same kind nice. of thing. You find these these folks that have that proximity to wine growing uh, you know, areas and getting fresh grapes and being able to process them in the way that you want to can make a humongous difference in the quality of those. And I think it's not a it's not an accident that Janelle is, uh, you know, has that proximity to wine growing. That matters. In Washington State. Yeah, well said. Um, yeah, look at look at the brewery on a map to decide whether you want their beer wine hybrid. <laughs> and it's not to say that you know you can't if you're sure. not you know within that kind of proximity, but I would say that there is definitely some correlation there um, that would you know the, between that proximity and uh, you know and that access to to quality quality grapes. Yeah. Nonetheless, what's the what's the next beer on your list? Now for something completely different, um, art history. Hop leaf dark lager. So this is a a house beer for legendary Belgian bar, the Hop Leaf in Chicago. I had this when I was in Chicago on a rainy day. I it was pouring, and I ducked into Hop Leaf for some frites. And I had not had these house beers from Art History, legendary veteran Chicago brewer Greg Brown, and it was just like the perfect house beer, you know. And and also I was drinking it on a wet miserable day (laughs) but it was it was cozy and the kind of beer that you can have like six of in a row (laughs) and it was great with food and I just thought you know Hopleaf really nailed it and art history really nailed it like what a perfect combination of of 
talent and and the perfect setting. So yeah, this was a this is a beer that's kind of inextricable from from where I had it too, which is sure, fun. sure. Well, and we should also mention that uh, I drove you to pitch writing a breakout brewer story on art history, yep. which is in this best in beer issue. Uh, you know, uh, so if you are a subscriber, go check that out. Uh, and there's definitely a, a homebrew recipe scaled along with that. Um, art history you know, is a funny one. Uh, I met uh, Tom Rao, Tom and Cindy uh, before they launched the brewery. They actually came to one of our brewery accelerators That's right. years ago. And so we were following all along. And when you sent me this pitch, I mean, I knew exactly who they were. They won our pitch slam <laughs> and actually had a full page ad in, in the issue in craft beer and brewing like last year or the year before uh, as they opened just because uh, you know they had won that. Mm. Um, and so we've been following all along, knew all about them and had to like take some hands off. I let you all make the decision on on that breakout brew <laughs> because uh, I had to uh, recuse myself. You know, well, it's, uh, it's real that. good. The beer is real good, Jamie. <laughs> You'd be glad really, to know. <laughs> really, good. really good. And we've enjoyed our, even our, uh, our judges through the blind panel, uh, you know, have uh, enjoyed uh, getting into that beer and uh, they've had some very high scores for it too, just through us again, completely blind through our, our review process. So exciting to see that exciting to see you have an independent uh, experience of that that was meaningful for you too. Um, and very cool to see the way that they are, you know, they're expanding, they're building a production brewery uh, so that they can uh, more effectively make lager on a larger scale. Uh, and it's very awesome, very cool to see uh, you know, all of that growing as significantly as it is. Next on your list. Yes. Uh, Fontaflora the Pearl, which is a, a pilsner with, with oysters added. And, um, you know, just when you think you've drank everything under the sun, something comes along that you've never had before. Uh, oysters applied to a very light lager. And uh, it was like nothing I'd had ever. Uh, you know, oyster stouts are one thing. This really had that sea-like, aquatic, briny character, but also something like maybe a little bit of seaweed salad. I truly don't, I'm not making it sound like the most appealing thing, but it's delicious and so weird. And another one that I just couldn't stop thinking about and just like a beautiful surprise. And it made me think I was on the coast, even though I was drinking it in Montana. Fantastic. Todd and Jeremy there at uh, Fontaflora are some phenomenal flavor architects. I love the creativity that they bring to this but it's also not surprising to find this on your list because they also have a list in our top 20 beers of 2022 there we um, go you know for for double decoy their barrel aged stout which uh, scored a perfect 100 with our blind reviewers a phenomenal brewery making very creative beers and doing so in uh, you know in such a, a beautiful grounded way okay what's next on your list uh an ipa you heard of those <laughs> <laughs> those we are still a, popular right yeah i think people are still into those i don't know um so this was a collab uh the beer is called ectoplasm it's a collab between fremont and half acre so fremont out of seattle uh half acre out of chicago this was a beer that like i don't know if i think if i saw the recipe on paper i'd be like i don't know <laughs> uh vianamol and then um some mosaic incognito hbc 630 talus hops uh there was a lot of like that white wonder bread from the sort of Vienna malt squishy base there. And then like these very bright green melon, kiwi, honeydew flavors. It's like, that sounds so 
like incongruous, but uh, obviously Fremont and Half Acre, you know, they've uh, they've made some IPAs before. They they know their way around around a recipe, around some hopping. So um, this was just a really Again, I keep saying memorable, but uh, just you know, uh, in the, in the vast sea of IPAs, when you have something that's kind of different and and combinations of flavors and ingredients you haven't had before, sticks in your mind. Vienna malt, huh? Vienna All malt. Right. They're, yeah. Hey, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What's next? What's next on your list? Uh, local pick for me here in Montana. Um, Ronan Cooperative Breweries Forbidden City Amber, uh, which is an, an alt beer. And um, this beer was one that I just kept wanting to drink, um, as alt beer should be. <laughs> um, I found myself thinking about it, wanting to go find it. I mean, you know, when, when have there been beers that you're like, it's a Tuesday night and I'm like up thinking about this beer. Um, and this is just a very cool brewery. They, uh, they're, um, one of their board members is a BJCP, like grandmaster level three, something, you know, he knows his way around, especially loggers. He also happens to be a, a water, uh, I, I don't know if he's a chemist or, some other type of researcher for the University of Montana up at the Flathead Lake Biostation. Dude knows water, knows his beer. Unsurprisingly, this alt beer is fantastic. And uh, I'm lucky to have them kind of in my neck of the woods. It's interesting to me that uh, Courtney Eisman also had an alt beer on her list. Uh, you know, is this a budding trend? Alt <laughs> beer. Is it what's next? Alt beer. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't I'm know. here for it. You, uh, I would love that. That's exactly what Courtney <laughs> said. That's exactly so. Great minds. Anyway, I see a budding movement here. We're gonna have to throw alt beer into the uh, the editorial calendar for this coming year, <laughs> and yes, uh, keep that momentum going. Uh, what's the next beer on your list? Yeah, I had this uh, while I was in Toronto, and it was so delightful. Um, Godspeed's uh, Sklepnik, which I hope I am saying somewhat correctly. Uh, this beer is a tribute to the um, unfiltered golden lager uh, at Pilsner Raquel in the actual pitch-lined barrels. Uh, I have not been to Pilsner Raquel to drink that beer, uh, but I guess I got the next best thing at Godspeed. This was really made me feel like I was traveling when I drank it. It just did not taste like of... North America. I don't know. I, I just thought it was so wonderful. And obviously the folks at Godspeed have great, great reverence for Czech brewing traditions, um, and, uh, have been visited recently by the brewing team, um, from Pilsner Kell. And yeah, I, I just felt very lucky to get to taste this beer. Fantastic. And you were up there in Toronto for Stephen Beaumont's Canada Cup, the new uh, beer competition that, uh, that he launched this year. Um, yep. Stephen wrote a, a great breakout brewer on Godspeed for us uh, a number of issues ago. Of course, if you're a subscriber, go check out those archives. There's a recipe from him as well. It's a cool, inspiring story, and they're making mm-hmm. you know beautiful, artful, artful beers. What is the last beer on your list? Last one uh, from Warwick, New York, uh, Drownlands Slow River Saison. Um, I had this beer in pans, and then I actually also went to the brewery months, months later and drank it, uh, at the source. And 
can confirm great both times. <laughs> so here it is on the list. Um, there's rye, wheat, oats, and Pilsner malt, um, as well as saws and crystal hops that are grown in New York, uh, food or aged house stays on yeast. Uh, there's a lot you, I feel like this is how I like my saisons. Like I can pick them apart and, and try to find the rye and, and, uh, you know, try to taste like the terroir of these New York grown hops, or you can just think about how refreshing and delicious it is and not be in your head. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, this is the kind of beer that I really like to drink. So this one was, a this one was, you know, just a beer after my own heart, I guess. Great saisons are such a fantastic alternative to to lagers uh, for the as those summer porch beers, um, light, crisp, and uh, you know well structured. Uh, we, sh- we cannot forget about those. No, no, no. 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 Um, and, you know, Drown Lands has been sending us a bunch of beer. It's been nice to explore that brewery and uh, and get to know some of their beer more than I had in the past. Yeah, um, very cool. So, uh, personal hot take. What's your hot <laughs> take this year, uh, Kate? Oof. Uh, my hot take is that non-alcoholic beer is not going to take over the world, contrary to some headlines. And I, I don't want people to misread this as me being down on non-alcoholic beer because I think it's wonderful. I love that there are better options for it. I love that I'm seeing it even at kind of bars where I wouldn't expect it. Um, I love it. I just think it's it's a, a sliver of a sliver of the market. I don't think it's going to like take over beer aisles anytime soon. I'm glad it exists, but I think we can temper our expectations for it is my hot take. I agree with you there. I mean, I love that they can direct ship it now, you know, because yep. it's a non-alcoholic product. Uh, so people have access to it. Um, you know, you can get it on your own subscription program for it if you really want to. All of those things are cool, but I agree. Like it's still a fairly niche thing. And uh, I think for most of us that drink a lot of beer and are looking for ways to drink less, uh, when I'm not drinking beer, I'm also trying to find ways to not consume even those 40 or 50 calories of that thing. Totally. And, uh, you know, and so those hop to seltzers become the thing that I I go for because zero calories is better than 50 yep. in that scenario. But, you know, having said that, I think it's, you know, it's great for whether the people are choosing it for lifestyle reasons or uh, um Whatever that might be, you know, that leads them to non-alcoholic beer or just want to keep the night going even though they have to drive home and, uh, you know, want a a reason to hang. Like, there's a lot of great use cases for it, but I think you're right. Like, it's not not the next big thing and it's not going to light the world on fire. Um, Yeah. So what is a beer style you're excited to see growing? Yeah. uh, Like, fruit beers, I put – I say that generally because I think they're – whether it's fruited sours, like fruited wheat beers, I think these get kind of a bad like rap sometimes as being like training wheels beers or like what you used to drink in college before you liked beer or whatever. These appeal to a massive range of people who don't like other beer flavors, right? And I I feel like when I look at national sales data and when I just look around at what people are drinking when I'm out in the world and out at backyards and things like that, uh, a lot of fruit beers, man. And I think it's great because they are flavorful. They show, they can, depending on, you know, the fruits you're using, show a sense of place or season. Um, they obviously take skill to do well. And I just, I personally like them. So, uh, yeah, I think they're like a nice reach across to people who think they don't like other 
beer flavors. Or even if you do, who's mad about a good fruit beer? Not me. 100%. I think, you know, especially as brewers become, breweries become these third spaces in many communities, these places where, you know, they are the neighborhood pub in a lot of places, the places where people gather, um, having that broader range, looking at it from that perspective, having that broader range of things that people can engage in helps continue to define that breweries as that kind of place within communities. And so, uh, you know, there are, there is certainly something to be said for singularly focused breweries that uh, just make one thing. Those are awesome also, but I'm also, but I am glad that uh, these kinds of beers exist in a context for people to engage with craft brewery brands, um, you know, in this kind of wide ranging way. And so, um, and I, of course, much rather than engage with craft brewery brands than with brands from art, the RTD sector, or, you know, <laughs> the wine world, sure. rather nothing against those products. Those, you know, those brands, those, those companies can be great. Um, but Hey, I'm going to be an unabashed supporter of craft and craft beer yeah. um, and the breweries that make it. So, well, Kate, thanks for sharing your list with us. Um, for those of you who are subscribers of the magazine, there are a few more questions that uh, Kate answers in print. And in the in the digital form, you'll have to go read those. Uh, you know, in the other formats in which we provide it, we can't give you all of the things right here on the podcast. So go do that, Kate. Thanks for joining us. It's always great talking with you. Yeah, this is so great. Another another awesome year of delicious beer. So thanks thanks for letting me talk about it. Start telling your list for 2023 right now. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. My conversation with Stan Hieronymus is up next, but first, Balancing Barley and Hops is your expertise. Food-grade lubricants is theirs. When it comes to what you do, you're the expert, and when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, Clarion Lubricants are the experts. They'll work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your operation. To learn more, visit clarionlubricants.com slash foodgrade. Clarion Lubricants, the experts that experts trust. Next up, we have Stan Hieronymus, author of a whole bunch of books. I mean, you all, everybody knows who Stan Hieronymus is, so do I really need to introduce you that tightly? Um, Stan has been writing critics lists since we started doing critics lists for this magazine. In fact, there's three of us, uh, you, Alex Kidd, and me, who have been in every every one of these that we've done so far, which is, I think this is your number six. I can't believe you guys still put up with me, but... Thank you. You know, you know, in fact, we just kind of like kept inviting you and then like kept adding things to it. Um, and even this year, Stan and Joe Stang, and it was supposed to be Kate, uh, even though she, uh, due to COVID, was unable to come and join for our best in beer tasting uh, for our editor's picks, our top 20. But you were an integral part of determining our top 20 beers uh, of 2022 um, through a couple of days of judging here in the office. It was very tough, but thanks. <laughs> very, very tough. We're actually recording this segment in the back of Fritz Family Brewers down in Niwa because it's pretty much halfway between where you and I both live. And uh, it seems like a great place to drink some lager and talk about your critics list. And we're going to do that right now. Stan, let's uh, talk through your top 10 beers of 2022. What's uh, what's first on your list? Um, Cannonball Creek any of the alpha beers. So the alpha beers are rotating IPA uh, generally with a new hop variety. You know, they're, they're going to be focused. Uh, Cannonball Creek has this crazy little streak where they've been winning at every 
JBF since they've opened and every World Beer Cup since they opened. Uh, they got a big reputation for their they've hockey beers. One, they've missed one World Beer Cup. They have not oh, yeah. missed a JBF. Ooh. Sorry about and that. I don't mean to fact check you. I, yeah, no, that's But fine. Uh, I did do that research. because, yeah. and, and thank goodness they won in the 2022 JBF because we had posted that podcast uh, right before that. And I did not want to be the one to jinx them on it. And it was not an IPA, um, which points out that you, you can go in and order beers other than IPA, which I do like one time in 10. So the alpha beer, if they got an alpha beer on, drink the alpha beer. In all fairness, you know, you were, you uh, actually pointed Joe and me there right before, because we all met up, we all went to Wilco at Red Rocks, uh, you know, back the Wednesday after we finished our best in beer tasting. And, and, and so we're like, we're trying, Joe and I were going to like, let's go grab some beers before we go to, to Red Rocks and, and Cannonball Creek and Golden is right there. You know, like, you got to try this, this specific project alpha. Cause I just had it yesterday. And then we got there and it had already kicked. It was already gone. Um, thankfully, they had like a, a 1019 um, you know, special IPA. But I'll tell you, their Mindbender IPA, it was, it was the best thing there. I, I mean, it was just, it, it, even their core beers, quote unquote cores, they're spectacular. That's always my second beer there, Mindbender. Fair enough. So try their Project Alpha, then order their Mindbender right. and realize that uh, whatever they're doing, they found some special uh, juju. Find somebody to drive you home and have the Vienna as well. Perfect, perfect. What's the second beer on your list? Uh, Terrace Boba uh, from De La Sen. Such a safe choice, Dan. So safe. Uh, but you haven't had it when you're waiting to go to Jazz Fest in New Orleans and you stop at the grocery store so you can have a stand-in-line beer, and that is your stand-in-line beer. We've been going to Jazz Fest since 1990, uh, at least 18 times, and this was the best Jazz Fest beer ever. There it was. And then when you went back, went back for more and it was already sold out. So some other jazz festers uh, were on to your, uh, your trick there. It's a smart crowd. For sure. For sure. What's the third beer on your list? Uh, the Ex Novo, where the mild things are from Corrales, New Mexico. Uh, this brewery was built after we moved from Corrales. It was about a, it's, it's built a mile from our old house. Um, it's just a really nice place to visit. And the mild was exceptional with some really nice spots, uh, uh, spicy uh, sweet potato tots and then a variety of chilies on top. Perfect, perfect uh, pairing. Fantastic. Uh, what's next on your list? Number four. Uh, the hog said chinwag, but of course the important part of that is how it was served. So not too far from where we are right now, Primitive Brewing, which is south of Longmont, uh, hosted a hot beer festival where, you know, they had special pokers that were warmed up. We got there a little bit late, so they were down to two beers. Daria, my wife, had one, and I had the Hogshead beer, which is was on cask. When you stick the, the hot poker in that, it steams up and you've got it. It, it looks a little bit like a Czech milk beer, <laughs> and but just phenomenal nose. And then when you're done with it, it's still one of the best cask beers you can buy in the United States. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, in a, a funny little small world experience as we were getting ready for to record this little podcast episode, Brandon Bolt walked in <laughs> for a beer, Brandon from Primitive. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun little moment there. So that, uh, and this year's um, hot, hot beer fest is December 17 for those of you who are planning a trip to Colorado. 
All right. It's on my calendar. What's uh, what's the next beer on your list? Uh, the Hop Farm Brewing with Friends Zachary, and it's a Saison. Um, I drink a lot of Saisons. Uh, Jamie has me actually keeping track of how many of each style I drink, and I drink more IPAs than anything. Shocker. Then Pilsner's. Then say song. It's this list that has you keeping track, such fine track of all of the beers. Uh, and, and I love it because you'll even come to me now, even after judging some beer for the magazine, be like, I think this one's really a 39. Yeah. Uh, this one's a 38. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've internalized yes. our uh, judging scale. And and so in the case of this, that, that means that the beers I'm most disappointed with that I drink are IPAs, Pilsner's, and saisons. This one totally doesn't. Everything you expect in a saison, it's it has this bright fruitiness, super clean, and really complex pepper element. That sounds sort of goofy, but that's what the sea spr- the yeast brings to the party. It's a fun one. I noticed that both you and Joe have been talking a lot about Pittsburgh breweries yeah. as a result of going to HomebrewCon. Um, and it's so interesting that uh, just something as simple as a national event like that being hosted in that just opens up, you know, even our broader kind of editorial world to brewers that we otherwise might not necessarily like have on, on that kind of radar. True. Yeah. Yeah. What's next on the list? Uh, the Tropel and I will actually, uh, translate the rest of the beer, which is called What's for Dessert. Now, Jamie's under the impression that I don't like pastry stouts. I do not generally... I'm not saying you don't like pastry stouts. I just like to trigger you (laughs) by making making that assumption about you because I know it kind of winds you up a little bit. Well, the goofy thing about this one is that it does have a bit of vanilla in it. But what it is... First of all, it's from Argentina. And I'm down in Ecuador judging beers. Um, and so we're judging a second round of barrel-aged beers. And that's in a stretch where in the course of six weeks, I judge maybe 60 barrel-aged beers, which means that's 59 of them were uh, very strong beers aged in bourbon barrels. We get to this beer. It's aged in a single malt barrel which originally came from scotland it it was shipped in the barrel it's bottled in argentina when it's emptied an argentine um distillery makes their first single malt whiskey in it they they had the inside of the barrel toasted before that you still get a little bit of peat from it and things like that you get to the end of the spear it has this extra malt component at the base a great imperial stout then just finishes a little bit different. So we went back and, and forth. I was judging with uh, Pablo Gomez from White Labs. Right, yeah. and, and we're going, do we just like this because it's different? And he's going, no, this is like the best Imperial Stout I've had at the base. And he's right. So it's, it's a combination of really great beer, adding something innovative at the end. Well, you found a way to re, uh, hold on to your professional curmudgeonly bona fides. Yeah. <laughs> 
by making sure that it was an international beer with uh, an excellent backstory and some smoke and peat just to point out that if it's going to be pastry, at least it's got some of those elements that might be polarizing for some. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very, very smart choice. What's next on your list? Dan? Total, total change with going with the Joyride uh, Ice Cutter Kolsch. And I would simply say that the World Beer Cup judges are right when they give us a gold. And they weren't even on the rooftop uh patio at joyride which is a wonderful place to be on a friday afternoon about rush hour and you watch all these people stopped in traffic going both ways and you go suckers i'm up here drinking this kolsch fantastic what's next live oak grojiski we know why that's again it's not again again though hasn't been here in two years i went i got to check that number 876 days between having this beer um I could ask them to send it to me, but but I want to go buy the beer and have the beer. And I did. And and there's a chance at that point you're going to go, oh, I, this is overhyped. It's really not this good. It's this good. It's a funny one. Every every brewer that sends us a Grodziska, you know, I just think of you now. <laughs> and I think maybe this is the year that I can get him to send some to Stan and he will replace Live Oak Grodziska with this other beer and sometimes it's happened i mean we got some from chuck and Nut. i mean i think yeah. you know there were some there was some you know it, it has happened chuck and nuts are real it was really really good it's yeah. on my list yeah. last year yeah um and uh, as they expand they're talking about making it more often and that's an, just one more reason to go to bellingham yeah, Courtney Eisman has uh, has a uh, Grojiska on her list from the Northeast. Uh, I'm, I'm now on a constant quest to find <laughs> the next one that will make Stan's list. Uh, you know, so if you are a brewer out there listening and you make a Grojiska, send it our way. We're going to put it on Stan's radar, and maybe uh, maybe you can take this spot since this spot is saved for that yeah. style of beer yeah. on your list every year. What's next? Uh, the Kitana uh, Chicha Viha. Uh, and this was, I was judging beer down in uh, Quito, Ecuador. And that's the only place right now in South America where they have a separate category for chicha. And they're working on the style guidelines. And I was fortunate enough to judge that category along with Gordon Strong, who writes the BJCP style guideline, is working on the style guidelines. So we're working from that. Um, and then an enthusiast from Colombia and a brewer from Ecuador. Uh, for us, that was great. If you've ever judged with Gordon, you realize he goes really fast. We did not go fast. We talked about these beers, what makes them unique. You know, we, we had one, and I'm going, okay, so this is this amount of sour, right? We're at Flanders Red. Um, and Sebastian from Columbia says, yep, it's okay. So I learned something. It was fantastic educational experience. Um, so... The Kitana Brewery entered the same beer that won Best of Show last year called Fandango. It's really good. We give it a high score. Uh, it got a gold medal. It was on the Best of Show table. It didn't win Best of Show. The next day, we went to the brewery, and we had a barrel-aged chicha. So you rethink everything that you've heard about chicha, and you realize they are modernizing it. It still has a corn base. It has Andean spices doesn't necessarily have any hops. And then this is aged with a mixed fermentation in a barrel. I'm there with Phil Markowski. I don't have to say anything else other than Phil Markowski. And 
he looks over and he says, you know, right now we could be in fill in the blank, like in Belgium, drinking goose. It was that complex, that wonderful. Oh, what's the what's the last beer on your list? Another one of my favorite breweries, and that's Scratch Brewing in Southern Illinois. <sighs> Another uh, one of my favorite yeah. breweries. So Maypop, which is made with the 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 fruit is actually Maypop, um, which is um, a passion fruit, but a passion fruit that grows in uh, the United States. So not quite the same passion fruit. Um, they they harvest it at the end of a season, and then it spends a long time maturing so we happened to be there in last february and and bought bottles then and it just you know it's wonderfully fruity and tart but different and then of course it has that terrific uh their house culture when they they let it go to wild what a phenomenal brewery one of my favorite in the entire world um they had been harvesting some of that when i was there in october yeah. uh last year um, just hand harvesting because you know, their fruits are, they've been growing even around on their, you know, their, their they, place. They, they've taken them and, and, and so I'd love to be there and yeah. work it out in the summer when they're actually growing over the top of you because it, it's yeah. also a, a beautiful flower. Yeah. Uh, and so we were watching them processing it and they were, you know, hand processing these and then of course, freezing them to get them ready for the, for the beer. Um, but what a fun kind of cycle of that, the rhythm that they've built in the brewery, even, you know, from things like the way that they operate the the bread and, and pizza oven to like brewing with each of those seasons. I mean, it really is such a beautiful, inspiring thing. I don't know that, I mean, really honest, I don't know there's another brewery in America that I have been that just enwrapped with yeah. like that you go there and the experience of that place. I mean, it's, it's so special. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, if you love beer and you love that kind of creative approach to it, I mean, it should be on your list. Yeah. It's a hard place I to agree. get to for, for a lot of people. Totally worth it for everybody. All right. What's your personal hot take this year, Stan? Uh, that wet hop beers are at their best when they are brewed with multiple varieties and they need to be dry hopped. And and Single Hill has totally influenced me. I agree, um, but uh, a cloudburst, uh, which which Steve will go down and 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 there he's going to do his first edition with with a wet hop. But he recognizes, yeah, dry hop it with something else. It adds complexity. I I say that, and I've had some great single hop, fresh hop beers this year. I went to Yakima later than I do usually, which means there were fresh hop beers available. The Luminosa from Fort George, totally killer beer. Yeah. So those are really outstanding. Uh, But you look at, you know, now Pint House is, has multiple winners in the fresh hop category. And those are definitely multi hop beers. You can have an excellent to great beer. Or the, the winner this year at GABF is a single hop beer, sort of single hop, is Simcoe from two different fields. Um, they, are, they can be phenomenal, but the ones that are dry hopped, like Single Hills, are double phenomenal. Is it fair to call it a wet hop beer or a fresh hop beer if you're using dry hops from the previous season that have been pelletized? They call them fresh, and they are fresh. What is everybody's favorite IPA now, if you look at Instagram, it's celebration. Celebration, of People course. People are going, I'm going to get to us. Celebration is freshly dried. It isn't going right. into the kettle wet. And the, it, wet is okay, 
Uh, I, I think the big part is it's really hard to use multiple varieties when you're doing wet. I agree with you. And, but I, and I also think that there's something special with the way that in particular Washington and some Oregon breweries are approaching fresh hop beers. Uh, if you, if you have an idea about what these beers are in your head, you should really go out there towards the end of harvest. So you can see a little bit of the harvest, but also taste some of these beers that have already gone through the, the process and already brewed. Um, you know, because whether it's single hill or varietal or cloud burst or, uh, you know, a Burke Gilman, yeah. um, or grains of wrath or any of these guys that are like, are, you know, have this really close and tight access to where they can drive to farms and are driving back and they're caring about building beautiful hop forward, fresh hop beers. There's something special and different about their approach to those beers um, that I find inspiring. And I also find like changes what you think of when you think of fresh hop beer. Yeah. I think the other thing you're, you're talking about if, if you have it outside the Northwest, but even if you had it in the Northwest five, six years ago, it's continued to evolve and it's just better now. It's so good right now. Sure. Sure. Um, What is one beer style that you're excited to see growing? Cold IPA. Mic drop. Done. I agree with you. We don't need to say more. Cold IPA. You heard it from Stan. Stan, thanks for joining me for this critics list segment of the podcast. As always, it's phenomenal. Uh, uh, yeah, having you be a part of what we do. For those of you who are all access BIG subscribers, you you read Stan's all access hops story every single month. Um, we're doing we're putting in a lot of work to make sure that you have the best information in the most timely way. Thank you for uh, for doing this for this world of brewing, Stan. Well, thanks for suggesting Fritz, where we're watching the snow come down like crazy. It's beautiful, and it's only November, and we're ready. for. I'm thinking they really need to have a barley wine on, but they don't. Well, let's just drink some more Pilsner in the meantime. Cheers, Stan. I'm drinking IPA. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we have joining us from New York City, actually Brooklyn, yep, right? Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. Brooklyn, uh, Courtney Eisman, who is a regular craft beer brewing contributor, and uh, will be actually contributing more in this coming year in 2023. Let's dive in and talk about this. You're the first beer on your critics list. Uh, you just kind of shot across the bow with a smoked beer to kick everything off and a, a, a giant, this is how it's going to be this year. Um, you know, talk, talk to me about your, uh, your top 10 favorite beers of 2022. Yeah, I think a smoked beer is a good place to start because it was honestly hard to not just do 10 smoked beers. That's definitely what, what I've been <laughs> feeling for this year. I'm really excited to see them a lot more places and different expressions. Uh, so and it, it was a pleasant surprise. So my first pick uh, is Beowulf, uh, which is a brewery in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Um, they have smoke wheat every day, a grudziski. Uh, and I stumbled in there. Actually, we went to Amesbury to go to Brewery Sylvaticus um, and then just headed over there, you know, dog-friendly brewery, kind of always looking for that. And lo and behold, I mean, the range on there, Tapless, blew me away and they did everything really well, which, you know, is is unfortunately kind of rare. Um, but this Grudziski, like, this was an instant for me, had to get it to go as well. It the smoke we every day and the and the branding on the can struck me as like it, it felt like how you sort of market a super hazy like triple dry hopped IPA. <laughs> so right, I loved right. that they were giving that cool attitude to a really traditional Grudziski. Uh, it was just it was so like light, crisp, crackery, and then just that perfect progression from first like 
you know, first signs of warmth with that sip and then like the sort of campfirey smoke sort of like lingers just the right amount of time after you're done with that sip. It was, it's so pleasant. We're going to have to put that one on Stan's uh, radar. I know that uh, he's got Live Oak Grodziska on his, uh, you know, his list, as he has most years. Every year I try to find something else to take the spot of that uh, <laughs> on his, uh, his Grodziska, you know, top yeah. 10. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put this one on his radar, too. What's, uh, what's the next one on your list? Uh, so another, uh, I know this is like a very controversial trend, the cold IPA. What, you know. It's not controversial. <laughs> Cold IPA is awesome and more people should love it. Well, and like what we're calling it and, and you know, what, so I am team that it's not just an IPL. Uh, I love, I love the cold IPA a lot and what I got to, you know, being in the Northeast, I had to put on uh, a San Diego brewery here because it was really in a West Coast trip where I got to dive deep into how cold IPAs are being done right now. Uh, so this one is the cool stash from North Park. Uh, obviously, North Park is pretty good at everything they do um but this so this cool stash is uh hopped with it's got citra incognito uh double dry hopped with idaho seven simcoe simcoe cryo citra cryo uh so again you've got a lot of like the jazzy hopping going on here uh but being a cold ipa and not a hazy it's just like it's all the attention gets to fall on on those flavors and aromas of those hops it is like crystal clear dialing into those aromas and then just you know the that perfect amount of bitterness finishes so clean it was again just so enjoyable a phenomenal brewery obviously one that we wrote about as a breakout brewer earlier this year in craft beer and brewing um just won four medals at the mm-hmm. great american beer festival of course won the american ipa category and some others at uh uh, World Beer Cup uh, before that. I mean, you know, they're just, they're on a tear. It's absolutely incredible. You are not the only person that I'm in their list. Of course, Alex Kidd also had North Park on her list. And by the time that people listen to this episode, they will also know um, that North Park had one of our uh, craft and brewing top 20 beers of the year. And so, no uh, of course, of course, an incredible thing, uh, you know, and that decision uh, was in, driven in part by just uh, by the response from all of you all who have, uh, you know, echoed our own reviewers' sentiments about the mm-hmm. beer that we've had from Cool, what's next on your list? Uh, so, Treehouse, uh, you know, I, I, I talk a lot when I talk about this beer that, like, I love going to Treehouse and not going on the hazy line because you know the the lines at the tap room are different for hazy ipas or then just their classics uh so you get to zip right up do they still have the separate classic bar right yes yeah they, they did at they Charlton, still do? which yeah is is where yeah. i discovered this next beer uh so it's great because you zip right up and get to actually talk a little bit about these beers with you know who's who's tending bar um but so they're at ease um is an out beer uh that is oak aged and again out beer is one of those things i'm really really happy to see more places uh they just did a really lovely iteration of this um it's got that like crusty brown bread vibe that like is in a really good version i think uh but like, you know, never too heavy because it's got that nice, easy drinking bitterness. Uh, but then that oak comes in and just warms things up. And it's an interesting note that I don't get in every out beer, but it really mingled well here was like a little bit of earthiness, like a little earthy undertone 
that just played well with the other things going on. So it's like complex, but simple at the same time. A little bit of classic and a little bit of new school, obviously, with a little bit of that, that wood aging in there um, to kind of round mm-hmm. it all out. Very cool. Um, the next one on your list comes from a brewery that you actually sent me to last week uh, for a podcast, uh, Wild East Brewing, uh, also in then Guanus, Brooklyn. Um, a fantastic brewery. I had a great time talking with Brett. This episode will actually be out before that episode, so you know those listeners to the podcast can hang on for another week until you get the the uh, episode of the uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast with Brett. But tell me about uh, uh, you know why you're such a big fan of Wild East and what it is about this beer. Uh, Wild East is I, I feel so spoiled that I live within walking distance there and you know the whole team is so lovely and it's such a good place to hang out and they do just like they set out to do these traditional European styles that was kind of like the buzz before they even opened and they delivered and then some they've always got really good Belgian styles you know really good Czech style lagers Um, you can geek out about decoction mashing there Uh, they do great like education programming Uh, so this beer I think it's like it makes perfect sense that it comes from Wild East Uh, it is the creation of one of their brewers Robin G. Wise Uh, so it's a smoked Hella style lager with jerk spices so that's allspice thyme uh, and scotch bonnet pepper and it's it's interesting because I ordered it at a couple of different beer bars here in New York before actually getting it at the brewery. And the bartenders, like, not in a condescending way, but they all sort of warn you when you order it because I guess some people, it's like, they're, they're surprised at the savoriness of it. It is indeed spicy, but not the same, like, fiery way that you might get from, like, a hit-you-in-the-face, like, chili beer. Um, it's just got this, like, it's lovely, crisp dry uh and then the warmth of the smoke it's just kind of like you're it picks up the ambiance of being at like a really good cookout you're just getting like those good spices and warmth but like nothing's like overpowering anything it's so good fantastic uh i'm a a big fan of jerk you know it's my my parents secret uh, secret ingredient from the early days in hamburger was always pick a pepper sauce and I'm surprised at how many people aren't familiar with that, but that kind of, you know, Jamaican mm-hmm. spice approach uh, is fantastic. Love it. Love it. Love it. What's next on your list? Uh, so this one's really straightforward. Uh, I got to brew Carré in New Orleans this year and it was, uh, I went in the middle of the summer to New Orleans, which, you know, you, you really are looking for something super refreshing, uh, especially sitting outside on a patio. So the Lil Grey Phantom is their grisette, and it's just, like, I don't really know how else to put it other than that it's just a perfect grisette. It's, you know, just the, it's so simple, like, you just get that grapefruit zest zing, the, like, touch of peppery spice that just, like, helps the whole thing finish nice and dry, and it's just, like, I you, and it's a really low, I'm trying what the ABV was, it was, like, three point something, so it's just so light, you could crush it all day. Reminds you that uh, lagers are not the only dry, small, light beers that are perfect for those kinds of warm temperatures. Exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. What's next? Uh, so this is actually a, a complete opposite end of the spectrum, like as extreme as you can be. Uh, so this is Bridge and Tunnel Brewery. is a brewery uh, back here in New York. Uh, it's in Queens. And they have the big Gavon. Uh, so it's 
a rainbow cookie stout. And I actually always order one of these when I see them, even though I'm not a huge stout drinker, but I am a big rainbow cookie fan. And most of the time I don't feel like, you know, uh, they're being accomplished the best. Uh, you're not getting sort of the right balance of flavors. You're getting mostly just chocolate. Um, or they're like just so cloyingly sweet. You have one sip and you know, that's absolutely enough. This was just like absolutely drinking a rainbow cookie. And it was the importance of getting that balance from the tart raspberry. And then you're also definitely getting that almond flavor. And like, yes, you wouldn't drink more than a can of this, of course, and maybe even 12 ounces should be enough. But you they managed to keep it where it is definitely not too heavy. It's I don't know how they do it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, next. So I've got a shillings indicator. Uh, no shilling uh, is not a hot take to put on a best of list. Uh, but their <laughs> food or aged Doppelbach uh, is just, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm hitting balance really hard. It's like a little bit indulgent, but not not too much, not too heavy. We're getting the richness of the Doppelbach, you know, the vanilla and caramel. There's definitely some nice dark fruit, dark dried fruit jamminess going on there. Um, but... There's like a tiny bit of alcohol warmth, at least in, in the one I was drinking, that sort of also helped cut through the richness. And again, dry finish, keeping everything, you know, out without sort of going too far into any one direction. Fantastic. What's next? So this uh, other half. You're stick, sticking with the Brooklyn theme. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> so other half, um, I've got their all Rawaka everything. This is... Obviously, when you do just want to lean into the biggest, hoppiest, hazy IPA, other half is obviously a no-brainer for a lot of those times. Uh, and, you know, I can obviously have fatigue in this uh, category, but the all Rawaka everything was one that was able to still surprise me. Uh, and it was the first time that I had, uh, a, you know, a, a single hop IPA using Rawaka. So that was a really lovely introduction to that hop. It is just, you know, sometimes I think these like candy terms get thrown around with IPAs and it's like, are you really getting that? Or are you just are you using thesaurus.com for different fruit flavors, depending on the beer? And this one, I'm like, oh, I am truly getting, you know, like a sour raspberry gummy, um, definitely getting that like sugar sprinkled grapefruit vibe. There's a, It was just like a really complex flavor that they executed well. Arawaka definitely has it is coming into its own and more and more brewers are talking about uh, has some of those kind of Nelson characters mm -hmm. with a little with some maybe a little more of that uh, that kind of fruit element to it but also with a pleasant amount of kind of you know danky sulfurous compounds that uh, that keep it from feeling just too kind of sweet and over the top um, just love the way that those things balance yeah. out. Um, and you're right other half like maybe it's not cool to love other half because uh, but at the same time uh, you know, they they just keep delivering really well constructed hazy IPAs, yeah. and you know I don't know they always get the credit for the kind of technical uh, acumen that they apply to it um, in terms of you know, also the way that they've influenced other brewers moving into the centrifuging realm, pulling out some of the you know, uh, compounds that are causing hot burn, which allows them to turn stuff faster, but also produce cleaner hazy IPA. Maybe that's an oxymoron. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I agree. Um, you know, but. It, but it makes those beers that much more drinkable um, and that much more pleasant to enjoy and, uh, you know, 
certainly no less mm-hmm. hazy. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think we're well past that idea of hazy beers as being lazy yes. brewing. Um, they are definitely showing that by applying some brewing science to it, you can make some phenomenally good beers. All right, what's next on your list? Uh, so I do have, as I mentioned before, I do actually have uh, a beer here that's a little bit more just like focusing on some heat from spiciness. So this is um, Huddle Brewing in Las Vegas. It's their Mosquito Bite. So this is a Mexican style lager. So we're getting start, sort of getting that like slightly corn sweet lager. Um, and then some smoked serrano peppers. And what surprised me about this is that I usually, I feel like when you take a lager and try to just add heat to it, it's like thin, like the heat is very thin. It almost sort of like the beat, like the lager and the pepper almost sort of cancel each other out, right? Like it might get too watery, like the pepperness of it is watered down. Um, but this was just perfect. Like the lager really held up to the heat. It's sort of linger there the whole time like you're still getting that grain uh but like still clean finish and then the spice was like perfect level uh like a little bit of a heat seeker moment just really well done awesome awesome last one on your list so this is a a brewery here that's a really exciting back home beer uh beers that have some uh some celebration of Iranian ingredients and flavors, uh, which is, you know, refreshingly different, some different notes that people are getting to explore through beer here. So this one is the uh, sumac goza. So floral, um, there's definitely that acidic funk, uh, some tart cherry, and then there's uh, Persian blue salt coming in. Uh, So, you know, that sort of Middle Eastern take on the goza, like that saltiness, it's just very different flavors or components, I guess, coming together to really, really interesting. I really enjoyed the, especially the floral and the tartness of this. I am not familiar with Persian blue salt. And now I've got to go uh, do some more research on that to, to figure out what I don't know about it. Um, sumac certainly have had some great, uh, interesting beers. I mean, you know, I think Scratch has done uh, sumac beer mm-hmm. in the past. Really fun stuff. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's awesome to watch this world of beer broadening and bringing in influences uh, that are personal and meaningful for, for uh, creative brewers all over the place. Very cool. So, um, you know, another question that we asked every one of our critics uh, was just to have a little bit of fun. What's your what's your personal hot take? A uh, One hot take, uh, you know, that uh, that may, may be controversial. <laughs> it, it might be more of a lukewarm take in that my hot take is like, we need to just all let everyone drink what they want to drink. I just think, you know, when you write about beer day in, day out, you just see so many people getting fired up over not letting people sort of enjoy their different styles, declaring this style dead, this style, you know, maybe like inferior or like you're not getting the right beer experience. And to me, it, and I sort of started thinking about this, like when we were thinking about this list, I was really tired of the pumpkin beer hate and maybe that's my hot take within a hot take is that i do like pumpkin beer um i'm with you on that i actually uh had some really good pumpkin beer this year and have uh been not i I'm not apologizing for enjoying that no I, no one should i, I just yeah I, i'm like there absolutely needs to be like your beer that tastes like beer i i want to you know we always need to sort of respect these traditions but beer should also be fun and if Brewers can figure out whatever wacky way that they want to push an envelope in any direction. Like, I'm here for that too. And, you know, got to let everyone drink what they want to drink. I hear you. 
And I hear you. I think uh, brewers in particular can be some of the most challenging gatekeepers around beer. And, you know, the one thing that I have definitely found, I think, as you have, is that uh, um, less gatekeeping and more open embraces uh, that consist of meeting people where they are and sharing those common experiences, flavors that they might engage with, um, bringing them onto team craft beer is, I think, ultimately more important than, uh, you know, being right or, you know, sticking to some dogmatically to some tradition that we oftentimes think is longer, more legacy than it actually is. I mean, most of these beer, quote unquote, traditions that we're fighting for like 50 or 60 fucking years old. Like, why are we, you know, like dying on that hill rather than, you know, finding these places that we can connect with people and engage with people um, and build both experiences, you know, with craft beer and, and craft beer places and spaces mm-hmm. um, that more people can engage with. That's important. And an important way to do that is, again, not being quite so dogmatic about some of these quote unquote traditions in this bigger world. Sorry, that was my No, <laughs> I'm absolutely here for that. Exactly. I'm like, yes. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, a, a beer style that you are excited to see grow. Out beer. I, that's just all I yeah. want all the time. I, and that's like, because it's growing so much this year, this year was the first year that I put it to the test, right? I'm like, do I want this in every season? Do I want this in every situation? Yes. And it's, it seems like such a limiting style. It's not. As we see with Treehouse, brewer, brewers are still doing their own thing with it. And I, I just want more of it all the time. Fantastic. Well, there's a few more questions for those of you who get the magazine. Um, you need to go read Courtney's uh, best critics list, her, her best in 2022, um, to get all of those additional answers. We're not going to spoil them here. <laughs> we have to give you some reason, some reason to go read the magazine. Also, um, and if you, of course, you want to keep up with Courtney, she also does the Hugging the Bar newsletter and Substack. Uh, go check her out there. And uh, like I said, Really excited to have you writing more in this coming year in 2023 as we uh, as we start uh, kind of uh, rethinking and uh, adjusting and taking a new approach within craft beer and brewing. Um, Courtney, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me for this segment of the podcast and sharing your thoughts with our readers and listeners. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Cool. Cheers. Cheers. Next up in our Critics List edition of the podcast, Alex Kidd joining us from Southern California. Welcome back again for yet another year of Critics List. Alex, you've, you've been doing this since we started doing it six years ago. So you, Stan, and me were the only ones that have been there every single year. Um, but now we've got, uh, we're tapping into your genius in an auditory way here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Alex uh, hosts the Malt Couture podcast and, of course, is the blogger behind the Don't Drink Beer blog. Alex, let's talk about your top 10 favorite beers of 2022. What's first on your list? Oh, man. Well, first, just before I say anything, I got to say this was a very lager-heavy year. A lot of times you'll see strong ales pop up on my list, and some other years we've seen uh, barely saisons dominate. But I don't know if it was just the sheer production, the consumption, or a confluence of the two, but uh, you're going to see a lot of loggers that are, I don't want to say overrepresented, but they are well represented in this list. So just keep that in mind as we jump into it. It's um, a big shift. It's a big shift in everyone's list. So I mean, we're, we're watching it all happen in real time. Um, if there was one positive outcome of the pandemic, I think it was brewers had time to get better at brewing loggers and also had a little more tank time on their hands. And, you know, we're seeing it. <laughs> We're seeing it across the board here. I want to say a portion of it is because I became a dad and like the idea of cracking like a 15% brewery melange three when I'm like, he's going to be up at 4 a.m. 
I'm going to have to do, you know, like I'll just be like, I'll take yeah, the, yeah. Che- the 4% check duck logger. I'll take it. Uh, so maybe that's it, but let's jump right in. Um, all right, we're going to take it to the East Bay. Uh, Wondrous Hell Lager Beer. This is a brewery that opened right before the pandemic. If you don't know about Wondrous, they do great stuff. They have a great barley wine that I almost put on here as well. But I went with the lager beer because the Hellas is um, often neglected, you know, little cousin to the Pilsner. And I've been seeing so many good Hellases come out lately. Um, And this particular one, I really enjoyed it because it had this uh, kind of – like quiet quality to it where you could just drink it and it's suddenly gone. Like beers that have this silent sniper quality that disappear are something that often aren't focused on in the, certainly not in the untapped world or the backyard bottle shares, but those, those things that can structure an experience instead of dominate it. I love it. And this is one of them. Fantastic. What's next on your list? We're still in the East Bay. Uh, we're just uh, we're working our way. Uh, just I'm sorry, we're working our way across the bay to the peninsula. Cellar Maker works in days. Uh, Connor and the squad at Cellar Maker have been doing everything from pizzas to diversifying their profile. Uh, some of you guys would probably know them best for their hazy game and uh, you know perhaps their saisons, but they came out just swinging with barley wine after barley wine in 2022, and this one is the best one of them all. Um, it's it is really, really strange and interesting and compelling. Um, it's dry without being like sugar driven, and it's just got an amazing cask profile that uh, that shows that they've got a lot of range in their catalog. And so it's cool to see Cellar Maker just really reaching out and doing more and more interesting stuff. Pale ale, pale ale, and barley wine. I was actually emailing with Connor two <laughs> days ago, and he's like, "Because our next issue, we're uh, we're taking in reviews, and part two of the styles are barley wine and pale ale." He's like. That's that's pretty much our brewing in a nutshell, yeah. and uh, you know, but interesting to see that it's not as if barley wine is uh, lighting up the uh, sales charts these days. Uh, it's definitely something that they do as a as a labor of love. Yeah. Um, what's next up on your list? We're jumping across the country and we're going to Connecticut Fox Farm. Now, Fox Farm is one of these breweries that they do everything so well that I had to sit and think about which one was the most compelling or interesting. Um, just because when I get those cans in my mail, they, they instantly go in the fridge and they just, they get destroyed. But the one that I really thought was so compelling was the alt beer, um, Stet. And first of all, a lot of people like have perhaps have never even had an alt beer at all. Um, this sometimes can get conflated with, uh, ambers or it can like get swept into all kinds of different, uh, penumbras of other Venn diagrams. And I think that this stands like on its own because it's so historically accurate for being an American example of it. Um, the carb on it, the retention, the body to it, it just has like this, this amazing quality that takes uh, an overlooked forgotten style and really elevates it to a way that you would actually be like, I want to share this with someone. I want somebody to see this as like an example of a style that is really on the back burner and to do something the best and have the best accessible in this sort of way. It's really cool, especially seeing it come out of America. Not to be an American exceptionalist, not to take anything from the classic styles. This is just an example that really surprised me. 
Absolutely love Fox Farm. Uh, obviously, we've done a number of things with them over the over the years, and uh, uh, but also cool to see Alt Beer. Uh, you're not the only critic this year. Courtney Eisman what? also uh, oh she's heavy, heavy on the Alt Beer tip, and so uh, <laughs> and even I think Kate Bernard had an Alt Beer in her list too. I don't know what's happening Insane. here, but you are independently arriving at the same conclusion uh, all at once. You know, it, uh, there's you know there, there's something cosmic is really happening here. I think Munich is in. Gatorade. So we're all aligning. There you go. There you go. What's next on your list? Number four. Uh, we're going to Wax Wings. Shout out to everyone in the mitten from Michigan. This is a little operation that has been silently turning out strong ales that have been very compelling. Um, they just... Uh, this was the first thing that I had that really made made people were in my inbox. They, they said, listen, you got to find out about there was this whole release thing and everybody was clamoring for this this barley wine from this tiny place in Kalamazoo. And, you know, most people think Bells, you know, they're thinking, you know, different breweries. And so I said, I got to go find out who these guys are. This is the first thing I ever tried from them. And it just came out. The, you know, straight to the top with a bullet. And I drink a lot of barley wines. We even put it on Malka Tour. And even my co-host Michael and Steven were like, wow, this is – who are these guys? Like <laughs> coming out of nowhere, making something this compelling, it was – it was really fantastic to see uh, really kind of marrying the two different realms of barrel aged barley wine, getting the prune and the fig, but also getting that confectionery toffee and score bar, like pulling those two together is very difficult. And this, this beer really did it very well. Fantastic. Now uh, you, you stay in that kind of middle of the country with your next pick. <laughs> That's right. We're going to Iowa and uh, you know, there's a lot of like hype stout breweries in Iowa. You got pulpit rock, you got toppling Goliath, but people sleep on Des Moines. They're, they, they stay focused in Decora. But, uh, you know, I think that Lua Brewing has been doing some fantastic stuff. Zach Dunbar has a great pedigree from the Midwest doing things. And uh, they came out, and I knew them for their stouts. And their stouts are good. They do um, great, great examples of that. But um, one of the things that really piqued my interest, uh, I was put onto this uh, Joe Wells from uh, uh, Fair State Brewing. He, he was like, you got to try this, this morning light. And I look at it on paper, and I was like – 3.3% like what uh, and it's a zwickle like it just seems like the type of thing you're like that like okay you get to make this once front of house like is gonna put it on it'll be on tap forever but like the back of house guys like they've been pining shifties to, that's yeah. the shifty yep. <laughs> like, like this is like they call in a favor you know like a you know when a director has like three hits in a row and they're like all right you get this one you can you get to make your whatever you know um, and they've got a new trick now, by the way, you know, you let it lager longer, but you pull a little bit off, put up, you know, keg off a few. So you got yeah. a little bit, but then let the rest of the batch lager a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two months later, pull it off. And now you've got, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic brewer strategy yeah. to make these, uh, make these shift beers really work in a commercial, uh, environment. I don't know if you've ever talked to the owner, but Scott Selix, he's obsessed, um, with, uh, with uh, Lodo, the low, the low oxygen, uh, like setup, like this has been all the rage. The people are calling it a pseudoscience, but like in German homebrewer forums, everybody's been going nuts for Lodo. Like, oh, it, like even when you mill, like you could be increasing your oxygen content, even when they, like at every step, analyzing how to get less and less oxygen. And um, it is really evident that they take a longer lagering time. They they are focused on this low oxygen approach. If you're curious about this. Um, I don't know if it's working, but it's working for them. 
it really, really tastes different. It really tastes good. Um, and like I said, being a dad, 3.3%, you, you don't even feel it. Like it, it's just, it's a great, nice, relaxing thing. So, uh, good on them. Awesome. Awesome. What's next? North park, uh, year after year, I'd get people yelling at me like, why don't you put North park? Why don't you review more of them? And San Diego knows them. San Diego is they, this is, I'm not revealing anything to anyone in that area. Um, they've been making great stuff all year long. And I had so many different variants of like their, their hoppy offerings. And, uh, when it comes to West coast IPAs, this is just like, it's, it's like taking a page from the early 2010s improving on it. It's like Alpine never sold to green flash. Like it's like this dystopian <laughs> Portlandia of like, uh, of, you know, tomahawk hops are still like being used and stuff, but, um, uh, yeah, is- Alex kid multiverse of beer <laughs> madness. <laughs> and in how many universes has West coast IPA been popular? None of them. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it does a great job at uh, really hitting like these like melon notes and then obviously having like a great uh, like resinous like acerose raked foliage type of body to it without going sea malts, without going that sticky like caramel backbone that like you were seeing so much out of the Midwest. It's it is fantastic. It is so drinkable and uh, really well done. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned North Park because they are also one of our top 20 beers of the year. And they ah. are their specs. Not Hop Fu, uh, it was Birdie to Bogey, their California Pilsner Great. that scored so highly that topped the category in our lager issue earlier this year. And that's the one that got the nod and the best in beer. But also, you know, again, Courtney Eisman and you align, and she had Cool Stash, their cold IPA, on her critics list. Also I mean, good. you just watch these things showing up over and over again. Um, but again, right, you know, the uh, World Beer. Beer Cup judges and JBF judges yeah. also know know just how effective North Park has been. Uh, it's been awesome to see them just 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 crush it, uh, you know, in all the major competitions. And so, uh, in a way, we're just an echo chamber, just repeating what people already know. Um, but at the same time, hey, congratulations, North Park! Amazing beers. Um, what's next on your list? Uh, we are going uh, north of the border. We're going to uh, Toronto with this brewery, Godspeed. And I don't know if anybody is is up on them, but like, what I do is I try and keep. They my- should read. They yeah. should read the breakout brewer story from last year oh. in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, along with the recipe for a green tea IPA. Stephen Beaumont wrote the story. Um, it's been a big proponent of them, and uh, you know, and so it's all out there. You know, we we were on the story uh, pretty early on. Yeah, I, you guys really had like I trying to also keep my finger on the pulse of what people are interested in, so that I'm not constantly reaffirming things that are already selling on the secondary and you know whale slaying. Uh, and every once in a while, you'll catch a heater where you're like, I don't know, is this like good asterisk relative to your local area? But no, this is just good, good and. That story is a fascinating story behind how, like, the interplay of like how they came to want to form their brewery and all of like the Japanese influences. Um, it, really, really cool. But this particular beer, you don't need to know any of that. Svetli Lezak, um, of course, destroying that uh, pronunciation. But uh, twelve Plato. This is a Czech pale lager, and um, you're seeing these as like kind of an alternative in a way. I want to say as like a softer, more delicate Italian pilsner, like alternative. Like if I could describe the segment that they are occupying, and I really like that because sometimes 
Italian Italian pilsners are kind of come across as IPLs to me. They're getting so crazy with it that like I like it to be ratcheted back in this really IPL does not exist. It's a it's a fake thing. Okay. It's it's okay. completely we don't use we don't use that word anymore. <laughs> that ac- that acronym. Uh, anyway, go on, go on. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, okay, sorry, cold IPAs or however ever whatever the nomenclature is now. Um but Hoppy the, Lager, yeah. Hoppy Lager, yeah. So um but this this really like had this nice like sweetness and like this biscuity quality that was just so drinkable and also brought it on the show and it's it's so fascinating to bring things on where I'm like, I wanna get another set of eyes on this just to make sure that I'm not I'm not getting swept up in people telling me it's good and Usually, if if I can get Michael from my show to to agree to it, it's probably pretty good because he doesn't like much of anything. So he's your curmudgeonly uh, foil there, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of uh, like noteworthy Canadian breweries, absolutely check out Godspeed. Also on Cape Bernard's list, not the same beer, but a different beer, also from Godspeed. So again, so you know, bizarre. Watching- so bizarre. The, I, I I've know, never I talked to Kate. I don't talk to any of these people about beer. And so f- to have us just independently align. Also, this brewery is not like sending out press packages. It's not like they care. Like when I was reviewing it, they, I, when I had already reviewed it, they reached out. They're like, cool. Thank you. Like it's like they don't – they're doing their own thing. It's not like they're like trying to get in on some beer fluencer. They don't care about me at all. Like they're just making good beer. Yeah, no, Kate uh, Kate went up there to because uh, Beaumont put on the Canada Cup beer competition. And she went up to judge and, of course, went to Godspeed while there and had a fresh on tap. And, uh, you know, it's just as impactful when you're there uh, from what I understand. I haven't been up to Toronto yet to check it out, but uh, definitely on my list. It'd be a great podcast guest. Hmm. I'll book that trip soon. What's next on your list? All right. We're going to Wayfinder. This is a triple header um, between Heater Allen and Beerstad Lagerhouse. Just look at this on paper before I even tell you what the beer is. You've got the three biggest lager nerds, like perhaps in the nation. Like, uh, I, I mean, when you when I saw the three of them, I was like, what could they even make? Because all three of them are going to be very particular and nuanced in any super traditional version. So they can't go and just make a Pilsner. They can't just go and, and make like even just like uh, like like something weirder like a Dortmunder would be like it, it would be arguments over water profile correction or something. Um, but the three of them came together and made something I don't think I've ever even had in my life. I don't even know this style. Uh, I didn't know it existed. I certainly have never seen it on draft anywhere. Um, I mean, maybe you can speak to this, but. Polotsmavi, it's it's half dark basically. Half you know, Smave yeah. being dark, you know, Polotsmavi is half dark, uh, which basically describes it, right? It's kind of like it, I, the best way that I could like describe it is like it's like a Czech amber. If if like that, like it's like because usually you think of the dark lager, you've got that almost like portery kind of look, like where it's like mahogany at the center and maybe lighter at the edges. Uh, but this is like this is like a very coppery color and um it it was just like it delivered all of this like pretzel quality like dark bread but it's so light and drinkable like and it just was it really sometimes puts my weight on my back heel because i'm like when i find something that i'm like man i've really been neglecting this style trying to find the best in you know pre-existing and established styles and then you get a nice little curveball 
that's delivering things that you didn't know you wanted. And so that surprise, I was like, I got to put it on the list. By sheer, it's not emulating anything. It's not operating from a template. It's creating something that is either so unknown that they feel like they're innovative or they're mirroring something that I'm just unaware of. So either way, crushed it. There's always a danger that the super group is just going to like crash and burn and make something <laughs> just un- unlistenably dense or, uh, yeah. you know, or just, you know, in that kind of creative noodling because it doesn't have to have, find any commercial success. Right. Um, but, it, but in this case, it's like, yeah, you watch, uh, some, some talented artists just riff and jam and come up with, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, beautiful thing that they all could make separately, but it's just as interesting, uh, you, you know, just a little bit different when they make it together with each other. It's this, very this cool. This is like uh, the sound of animals fighting. If any of your listeners know that band, it's like a, one person from each of ba- the bands I like get together to make some like bizarre music that's only for people like me. <laughs> like that's basically this Wayfinder Golden Tiger. Um, but, but they at least tried to make this rather than, uh, you know, going off on some obscure, you know, smoke beer uh, oh, riff yeah, or yeah. something like that. Right. Um, and I say that I don't mean, you know, to put that in a pejorative way because I fucking love smoked beer um, and I am all in for it. It's just funny when I we watch folks go down that road. I appreciate wow. it. Eh, it's probably not a beer that's going to sell. Your Polish though. listeners are up in arms right now. There's they're reeling from little Yachty and now you're doing this to them. <laughs> they know they know how much I care and love smoked beer and uh, you know and smoked beer gets plenty of love in our That's pages. Right. What's next up on your list? Uh, we are going to Brooklyn Evil Twin. Um, this is a brewery that uh, you know me and Yepe we've had our our little spats over the years, but uh, can't deny quality. You know, like so. This is the olive branch. I, it's like I, I mean, it's like, like you're you're freeing some doves and and like you know. It yeah okay I, I got rebuilding it. the bridges they've been silently doing these little like single barrel releases just out of the tap room and uh they are expensive and they are small runs but like i've had four of them now and each one has been so good like obviously the collab with you know uh gabe fletcher deal with the devil it's like that's you expect that like you understand what that's gonna be this on paper looks like something that i would like dunk on or that it would not be enjoyable uh, or excessive especially when i have like the evil twin from like the westbrook days like in my mind this is not that this is so focused and clear and like such an expression of like a new chapter of what they're capable of and it really uh it really kind of separates them into a new chapter of like what they want to represent themselves as it is cask driven like to a way that is so incredible without uh, being either hot or fusel or drying or wiping off the body of the beer. Um, it's double barrel age. They use bliss bourbon, maple syrup barrels, and then put it in McKenna casks. Uh, it, it is just, it's crazy. The maple is so soft. It doesn't become this like IHOP adventure. It is like, it's there to structure and provide like a nice, like caramel backbone to this stout. And it is just, it's so well done. Awesome. Uh, what's the last of your 10 favorite beers of 2022? This one, you go back to Lagerville. Five lagers, if I'm counting correctly. Five. Half of your list of lagers this year. But they're all such different lagers. Like, there's not like a single Pilsner on here. These are all wildly different representations from different parts of the country doing totally different things. And this brewery in particular, everyone was in my inbox talking about cohesion. 
And I go and I look at their webpage. They've been open for like six months. And I was like, they don't have distro. They don't even have packaging. They don't have any way. Like it's literally just you show up and there's lucre taps and you just drink. Like that's it. That, that business model is they have three main beers and then like one special beer sometimes. Like, and I was like, why am I getting so many messages about like this? It has to be amazing. There's no way that this is this good if these independent Coloradoans were trying to blow up their own spot with you. I, I, I I thought they tried to hide everything uh, from the rest of the country. That's like uh, in Atlas Shrugged. Isn't Colorado's where like the the productive people make their dome to hide, like or whatever like that that society is? I don't know. I haven't. It's been a long time since I was 16. (laughs) So, but uh, yeah, usually Colorado is not hyping up things; they're just silently drinking it. But Cohesion uh, Venoci Speciani Pivo, and uh, this is. It is so insane. It only comes in a 32-ounce crowler if you can get someone to go and get you one. This is in your backyard. Jamie, have you been there? Have you been to these guys? I've not only been there, I've podcasted with Eric. And, uh, in fact, over for, for GABF, I uh, actually uh, got a request from some, some friends to go visit. So I dropped Eric a note and uh, popped over there with uh, Vinny Chlerzo and uh, Garrett Oliver. So we, yeah, they wanted, they, even they wanted to go check out Cohesion. Uh, people are people are paying attention. And while we were there on Friday afternoon, uh, you know, of JBF, there was a line of brewers at two o'clock in the afternoon out the door, oh. lined up, lined up for uh, Cohesion Lager. So you know, um, I, I would say that amongst brewers, you know, the word is the word is definitely out. Yeah, I mean, this is it is the real deal. Like they they can't make beer fast enough. They just got some new tanks in to try to keep up with the demand, um, because you know, especially through JBF. I mean, they got they got tapped out. It's a cool thing to see, but I think that kind of focus and that passion is what I think that's there's a big part of that future happening now in craft beer, and I love seeing it. It's such a weird thing to be in a place where like Denver. I mean, we're not. I'm not in Denver, but an hour north, but. Where you can have Bierstadt if you want German style lagers, yeah. and you can have Cohesion if you want Czech style lagers, or you know, and then there are at least four or five other lager focused breweries in the metro area Amazing. doing the same. You know, like it's it's really such a cool, weird beer world that we live in these days. And it is cool, like they become legitimate destination spots, which we had previously been losing because everyone was ramping up and canning and scaling. This is something that I legitimately was like, a thirty two ounce crowler is the appropriate serving size for this beer. I drank the entire thing. I almost never drink an entire whatever, anything, because I have too much content to mow through. This was one thing that I just kept filling my glass, and it's like low ABV, like light in body, but it provides so much spice and, you know, like multi-grain bread, but like also this like interesting like nutmeg sort of like like menthol wintry thing on like in the hop profile on the end. Just fantastic. So absolutely check out Cohesion if you are in Colorado for any reason. They're not afraid of malt, and I love that, uh, you know, it is a well-structured lager, but with have, like with a significant malt component. Um, it's not a crispy boy in that no. sense. It definitely has that structure. It's very easy to drink, but it is not that that super thin, super light lager. Um, these are lagers of character. They are robust. Um, very cool. Uh, what's your personal hot take this year? Ooh, uh, this was something that I started doing like that almost felt like performative or attention seeking at first decanting 
beer. Uh, Brad Clark, of course, from Private Press has long been a champion of this, literally putting out Private Press like branded decanters to get people to do this. I kind of was torn on it. I was like, you know, you're degassing it. Like, who am I? Tio Musso over here trying to make the next <laughs> Ziao in my my kitchen. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna say it. Like, I've I've done it with private press beers. I've done it like with other ones, and I've even tried outside strong ales and other styles. Um, it can be very interesting. It's fun to experiment with decanting them. It isn't some pretentious thing. Like, you're gonna lose a little bit of the carb. You're gonna lose a little bit of the temp. But uh, you can kind of explore and uh, open your beer up in the way that like with the bourbon, you add a little drop of water, it kind of pulls apart the seams. Uh, that's what it feels like. And I urge you to, to check it out. It's like, do it at home. Don't have people around when you do it. You are going to get shit for it. It looks, <laughs> it looks ridiculous. And you know, your friends are going to roast you. So just keep it like your secret. You can't in private. <laughs> or just get that decanting pouring spout. I feel like yeah. you get really self-conscious about it. Like we're going to aerate, we're going to aerate as we pour rather than, uh, you know, anyway, there's plenty of ways yeah. to, to uh, you know, get around that one. Well, what's a, a beer style that you're excited to see growing? This is going to be no, uh, no surprise here. Uh, not only Czech lagers, but specifically the Czech dark lager, uh, growing up, I went to Berkeley for undergrad and there was like this spicy, like ubiquitous beer, death and taxes. And for years, no one made a Czech dark lager, let alone as their flagship beer. I never saw it. And every time I had death and taxes, I always wondered that I was like, this is untapped potential. And Moonlight silently was just doing it for decades. And now I've seen more and more people make them. And more importantly, I've seen people buy them. I'm seeing them like in Instagram feeds. People are taking pictures of Czech dark lagers, which is like, I'm so happy to see it. Um, it's a style that uh, that I, I've enjoyed, and uh, it's really pulling in people from every segment. People that are enjoy Pilsners or people that are like, getting palate fatigue from big stouts and they want something porter adjacent or, you know, it's like, it is a weird catch all bucket that is growing and I love to see it. Fantastic. Well, Alex, it's always great to talk to you every single year for your critics list. Um, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Uh, if people know to follow what you guys do, where, uh, where can they find you all? You can find me on Instagram at don't drink beers with an S. You can check out the formal long-winded reviews on don'tdrinkbeer.com. And I urge you to check out my podcast, Malt Couture. Uh, we, uh, We've got uh, you know tons of Patreon content as well that we do, video episodes and all kinds of other stuff. But uh, check out the podcast and take it from there. Great talking with you. Cheers. Cheers. For our final critics list, we go to Thailand, where Joe Stang, our managing editor, is uh, 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 talking to me remotely. Uh, Joe, how are things in Thailand? You just finished up the uh, Seabrew Conference down there uh, with a whole bunch of brewers in, in uh, Bangkok. Yeah, man, that was really cool to meet a lot of uh, brewers from the region over here, from around Asia, actually. Um, and Charlie Papazian was here, actually, to hand out some uh, some awards and stuff. So that was pretty cool to get to meet him here in this context and, and see him. You know, and everybody, of course, here knows what, what he's meant to, to craft brewing and to home brewing. So that was really cool. But also, it's frankly, just to plug ourselves a bit here, it was really cool to meet so many brewers who already subscribed to the magazine and had heard of us and listened to the podcast, even over here on the quote unquote other side of the planet. Fantastic. Um, you know, you are trying to work in some of that, uh, Southeast Asia, South Pacific influence into some of your lists to again, keep our coverage broad. I'm not going to ruin anything, but, uh, let's uh, kick into your top 10 beers 
of 2022? Well, the first one is one uh, that is one of those beers that might be on this list any year I get to drink it. Um, and this is uh, the Benedict 12 degree from Svetli Lejak, uh, Benedict Svetli Lejak, excuse me, from, from Prague. Um, and um, I can thank Evan Rail for introducing it to me, you know, some years ago. But it's just one of those deals where a friend was coming here to the beach, happened to be in Prague, like a week before he was coming, asked if I wanted anything from Prague. I'm like, yeah. So a couple liter size PET bottles show up in his luggage. And it's just one of my favorite uh, lagers in the world to drink. This get this lovely kind of chamomile-like effect from those from their old vine kind of saws hops, and there's a nice firm bitterness on it that, that, that you know I love. So that one, that one's definitely on top there. Fantastic. Your second one uh, is from Pittsburgh. I noticed that both you and Stan had Pittsburgh breweries on your list. Uh, um, there's not a coincidence there, is there? No, I mean we were both there for HomebrewCon, right? So. And we were checking out as many of the breweries as we could, um, and there was just a ton of great beer in Pittsburgh. Probably, do, probably doesn't get enough credit uh, as, a, as a beer city, but um, a brewery that came to the uh, opening reception that we were really kind of like gravitating toward uh, because the beers were really great was Burgers, and they were doing a lot of uh, they do a lot of different beers, but they decided to bring a lot of German type beers and lagers to the uh, to the reception. And, you know, so Stan and I were talking to, uh, talking to the brewer and, and then we decided, yeah, we got to go here and we got to go here and drink afterward. This is Neil, Neil Glauser is his name. And so we went there and I thought I was going to get stuck into pills or something. And instead there's this dry hopped cream ale called sword and sorcery around 6% strength and is just so smooth and just sort of like this kind of throwback, uh, American craft beer that it just was kind of reminds you what it's all about it's really really tasty beer fantastic what's third on your list well i'm one of those terrace bulba guys who just always you know that's another one that would always be on the list but it's not terrace bulba this time because uh just kind of looking because stan claimed it <laughs> well he did didn't he no that I, he you did know, he did yeah well you can't claim it nobody can claim it everyone owns terrace bulba uh, it, this was uh, actually the Saison de Mayboom was just the absolute standout beer from our trip to Belgium earlier this year for me um, and enjoyed it even more than Taras Bulba, even if it was in maybe a smaller quantity. But it's just um, the, you know, the, that, that hop character that you get from so many of the Senna beers is there, but dialed in a slightly different direction with this sort of strong minty herbal note and then some some suggestions of like earthy character that that could be Brett but aren't ch- ch- uh, chalky stone and, and roses and, and white wine and these things and it's just like it all works together so well with this like really light cereal sweetness it just all came together beautiful beer just one of those things you can pick apart forever or just drink it and and uh, it's a lovely experience either way the brasserie de la Seine fanboyism uh, is so strong. Uh, or fan personism, I should say, because I think it spans genders Plenty amongst fan every beer writer. Absolutely. Everywhere, everywhere. Uh, what's fourth on your list? Cloudburst, man. Um, those guys make some pretty good beer, right? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, some people are saying that. It's, Cloudburst for me is um, one of those things where people talk about them all the time for IPAs. I'm not from Seattle. I guess I've been there twice now. Uh, and it's just one of the things where at the end of the year, I look at my notes 
And it's like, there it is. There's another Cloudburst beer at the top, you know, near the top of the list. Once again, this time uh, it was their Fest beer that we uh, that we tasted during the Best in Beer uh, tasting. And um, it just was an absolute standout for me. It was really bright, pure, clean malt note that holds it all together. Enough heft there to make it work, uh, but yet nice, dry, crisp finish. Enough bitterness to balance it, like maybe even a little bit more, which I really like. And it was just a really lovely beer to drink. I would, I would have loved to uh, get in Seattle in the fall to, to drink more of it. Fantastic. Uh, you go in a different direction for beer number five. Yeah, so this was another one that, uh, and, and I visited uh, Bluewood in St. Louis uh, over the summer to talk about barrel aging and, and, and their approach to blending. And that was really, really cool to see what's going on there. These, you know, there's so many breweries in St. Louis that are known for these big, fat barrel aged stouts. And Bluewood is, you know, one of the, you know, not even quite on that radar yet. Um, but they're doing great stuff. And this one, again, came up during blind tasting. Uh, and it's just like hits all those naughty comfort centers of richness and chocolate and calories and holidays and walnuts. And, and it's just like a big blanket you want to wrap around yourself and, and have at the end of the night. And this is a, a really lovely beer. This is the Bluewood Relic WC four zeros and a five. It's one of their blending elements, I believe, and, and also stands very well on its own. Yeah, this one came to us in a kind of uh, hand-labeled bottle. And so I'm just going to go with it that this is what that beer actually is. Um, next, next on your list was a, a beer that we had in Belgium. Yeah, so the uh, the uh, draft goes from Tilcan. Uh, still feels like a, a a perverse kind of pleasure to me because I got into Gurs back when Gurs wasn't supposed to be on draft. It was you know only bottles, and of course now we're learning more about the history that in fact Gurs used to be on draft uh, originally. So it doesn't seem quite. Thank as, you. Yeah. Thank you, Raf Mirtz, for uh, for that book that uh, dispels a lot of those old lambic myths. Indeed. Um, and so it's, I it still feels a little sacrilegious though. And I, maybe that's part of the pleasure, but just the fact that you can have a, a beer of, of, you know, goozy complexity around 5% alcohol and it, because of the, that mitts that's in there that, that dilutes it somewhat, it's just so easy to drink and really refreshing. It's a, a, one of those things I got to do every time I'm uh, in the Brussels area. Uh, anything you do to remind me of that amazing trip earlier this year, uh, just, just hits those like beautiful nostalgic pleasure centers in my brain and we got to go um, back and if I, and I just get i know we've got to go back i just get like this these rosy warm feelings uh every time i get to remember that and uh uh you know so yeah let's 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 plan the next trip uh what's next on your list so this was a beer that uh i was lucky enough to enjoy in bangkok of all places um it, the the uh, import scene is really fun here and random um you've got uh, some importers bringing in some really cool stuff, but it's not always what you'd expect. And sometimes you get these really cool surprises. And so you go to uh, a hip bar with a lot of taps. Of course, and beer is quite expensive here, imported beer too. So you got to make it count. Uh, and so, and what's on tap, but a few, there's like a, a Boneyard tap takeover. It's like, what? Boneyard in Bangkok, let's go. So Hoppa Wheelie was uh, my one of my favorite IPAs that I had all year and it came, you know, all the way from Oregon to Thailand. So there it is. It's just nice old school 
in a bitterness, but so like beautifully lean, huge, like Pacific Northwest citrus, pine, punch. Um, and yet it, it just finishes so kind of like clean and makes you wonder what happened to that, to that big, uh, that big smack. And then you got to go back and get more. And, you know, we're talking a pretty, pretty strong beer as well. So that was really fun to drink. And, um, yeah, it would have been nice to go to Bend and do it in person. And I got that on my list again to do. Bend is a wonderful place. Uh, I was there earlier this year. Didn't get a chance to, to go to uh, Boneyard while I was there uh, just because it was a very, very quick trip. But it is always on my list. And uh, Boneyard's amazing beer. Also, pretty a nice testament to the brewing craft that a hoppy beer could make it on a ship to Southeast Asia in that kind of shape and still uh, hit you in that kind of way. Some of them are flown in and I think that's really smart. Oh. Yeah. And I think that especially for the IPAs, they're, they're just flying them straight in to keep them as fresh as possible. And I don't always know uh, what was flown in, what was, what was sailed. Um, but the cold chain is pretty solid, even if it's sailed. So you just hope for the best. You're often disappointed. This next one is one that I was not disappointed by. This is another one that came from Washington state. Uh, over to Bangkok, and this is uh, from Fremont Brewing in Seattle, the Baxter Cold IPA. And um, I don't know what vehicle it arrived on, but I know that it tasted fresh. And as soon as it became available, I grabbed a few cans and threw them in the fridge and really enjoyed each each one and, and got stuck into it. It was what I look for in, in a cold IPA. I don't know that West Coast IPAs really were ever like this, but in my mind they were. And I wanted them to be like that. This, you know, lovely, lean, bright character, just that crisp bitterness, but plenty of bitterness. Uh, and then the flavors and aromas can be somewhat new school, but not too far, right? You, you don't want to get cloying tropical notes necessarily, but, but that bit of citrus and a bit of pine and, and all comes together so nice. And man, I could drink so much of a really good cold IPA. 100%. I'm uh, right there with you. What's next on your list? Well, this was, <laughs> this is such a fun beer, man. Uh, so this was another one um, that was, frankly, I think we can say this, right? It was really close to making the, the best in beer list. Um, if, if we had a final table for our best in beer, this one might have been on that final table. I mean, there, you know, we, there are always those candidates that we then – you know, throw around those last like four or five for the final two spots. This was definitely one of those. And, uh, you know, through that process of, of debating and arguing and, uh, thoughtfully, um, sparring around these ideas, uh, it, it just, just barely missed the list. This is from Amalgam in Denver, their boysenberry reduction. And, this is, um, you'd think that as juicy as fruit beers are getting these days that you wouldn't be able to find anything new, that they've done everything they could possibly do to make a beer even juicier and fruitier. So what they did at Amalgam was take a boysenberry beer that was already oak-aged and then they re-fermented it with a bunch more boysenberries, then put it through the ice box process, some fractional freezing, taking that super juicy concentrate and then bottle it in this like narrow clear bottle like an ice wine it's just a cool presentation uh an expensive beer to make i'm sure an expensive beer to buy so you know as always privileged to get to 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 taste something like that as just um 
it brought back like childhood memories of swimming all day and jumping out and somebody's made this like fresh uh, berry cobbler and, and uh, just it was just all there. It was really, really a cool beer. Here's a crazy one for you. You know, we went through this best in beer tasting right around what a month ago, uh, actually or six weeks ago, um, seven weeks ago, even seven weeks ago. And the leftovers of that bottle, uh, we brought home, drank a little bit more that night uh, before we went to bed because we had to taste a little bit. Uh, I've still got that bottle in my fridge. It's still corked. It's still good. It's going to be still, fine. Still yeah. try a little bit here and there. And uh, I think it's also a beautiful thing that you can have a still reduced ice, you know, processed beer um, that, that hits all of those notes and, uh, you know, it's still good even after this much time. What's the last beer on your list? So the last beer is, is a Thai brewed craft beer. And um, I didn't, I'm not doing that just as a token thing. This really was one of my like top 10 beer experiences of the year. It's uh, from a, uh, a brand uh, and, and a brewer uh, called Namptons. It was an IPA. It's a West Coast style IPA called Ideal of IPA. I like the name too. Um, I got to enjoy this while visiting Chiang Mai. Um, I, you know, been days of, uh, exploring and drinking mostly Singha and, and, you know, it was just fine. Um, but then to find this little craft beer cafe and sit there and then try some local stuff. And it was like this, but this was actually like a, a really well-made clean, hit the numbers, fresh IPA. It was delicious. And I got to enjoy it while sitting there on the terrace of this cafe, watching fellow tourists and tuk-tuks cruise by. And um, the, it's a, the bit of background I have to get into with Thai craft brewing is that it's basically illegal. Um, it's very hard to start a craft brewery here because the laws make it very difficult to start at a small size. So what happens is a lot of the startups are home brewers, technically, who are selling their beer illegally in different bars. And then uh, arrangements that they figured out include getting contract breweries mm-hmm. in nearby countries like Vietnam. Cambodia to brew for you and you import it back in. Not super practical, but it works. Uh, and of course it's expensive, but all craft beer is expensive anyway. So you just go with it. But the kind of a newer arrangement is that there's a brewery south of Bangkok called TSI or Thai spirits. And they are contract brewing a lot of these recipes now, and they're doing a really good job. And they're kind of one of those beverage factories that's also doing FMBs and seltzers and sodas and things, but they also have a pretty organized operation for doing all kinds of different beer recipes. And it's hit or miss. Some of the stuff that comes out of there is not great, but a lot of it is really solid and professional. And this was just, I just happened to hit this one. And it's a good recipe, well-made brew. And so there, there's going to be good things coming out of Thailand, especially when it becomes a little bit more legal, which we're hearing maybe on the horizon here. Fantastic. What's uh, one personal hot take? Well, you know, I, this is, and this is a, a thing as an editor too. So I'm like constantly changing your words and our, some of our writers' words on this, but I, the word sour, we beat it to death. And I understand it's an easy word to use for a lot of the beers that we write about uh, and talk about because they are using a process that we still call kettle souring. Um, I think that sour has always been a terrible word to use with beer from the beginning. A really good beer is not sour, even an acidified beer. Um, So I think that using that word makes people think, including brewers, think this beer should be sour. Nobody wants that. Uh, 
tart, okay. And I, then not every language has that subtle difference, but we have that in English. Tart is pleasant. Tart can be pleasant. Sour implies uh, difficulty, challenge that shouldn't be there. So that's, that's my hot take. Let's just stop calling them sours. Particularly since a lot of the beers that we call sour beers are 99.9% are just fruit beers now. So I'm just called fruit beers. If it's not a fruit beer, it's probably a Berliner Weisse, a Goza, or a Lambic, or something. So that's my thing. Let's stop calling them sours tomorrow. Fantastic. So what's uh, one beer style you're excited to see growing? Um, with the ongoing sort of rise and in interest in, in craft lager, uh, there's plenty of... It's not just Pilsner anymore. There's different kinds of Pilsner, but I'm seeing more German-style Pilsners that that have a very a much more serious approach to bitterness and i'm really thankful for that uh as opposed to it's, sometimes you see a pilsner on draft and you don't know what you're going to get a bit like asking for an ipa these days you're not always sure what you're going to get uh and so you may end up with kind of this soft thin thing that that is not bitter at all or you may end up with this like 35 40 45 ibu crisp uh, uh sharp thing and, and that's what that's what i love to get stuck into and i'm happy to see more of those around it was funny i was recording a segment with uh, stan hieronymus earlier this afternoon before we were talking and uh you know it was like well what, what do you want next and uh, i was like well, well just order me the other pilsner and he's like well you know that's only a 20 ibu pilsner it's like you know what let me have a check <laughs> pills that's at least 35 ibus uh you know it's like uh it's like we just know each other now and uh you know and it's a funny story i, I mean we may have told it before but joe got stuck in an ice storm in austin texas for five days in the the craziest of circumstances all because you went searching for 55 IBU Hans Pills <laughs> from Real Ale and refused to fly out a day the day early and then change, try to change your flight and get out of it. So, uh, you know, that's just how much. It was probably worth it's it. just how much. It was probably worth it. It's just how much you seek out those, those high, high IBU Pilsners. Um, so, yeah, send some more of, us, of those to us and uh, you will find yourself on Joe's list if it's a well-made pills next so. year. Anyway, uh, thanks for sharing your list. This is the last one of the segment. And, uh, you know, thanks for, for checking out all of these critics' lists from all of our writers and, of course, our managing editor, Joe. Um, we'll talk soon. Cheers, Joe. Cheers. AccuBrew is an analytical tool designed to collect and compare the information brewers need to produce consistent results. CanCraft's design and aluminum specialists are here to support your business every step of the way. And when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, Clarion Lubricants are the experts. Once again, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button, let us know this content matters to you. Uh, it's your subscriptions that support the work of these thoughtful writers, and we could not do it without you. Next week, we've got a special episode with some of the best in beer uh, top 20 winners as they share some of their creative and technical processes around their winning beers. It's going to be more fun. We're going to keep this best in beer train going. In the meantime, thanks for listening. I hope you will raise a glass with me, offer a hearty cheers to all the great breweries and great beers we've talked about today. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.